this morning we get to continue in uh, our sermon series on the Psalms of Ascent. Um, and, and if you've been with us for a little while, you know kind of the idea of that, that um, these psalms were written and collected together, and they were sung by the, the Hebrew people, um, by Israel, as they would travel back to Jerusalem each year for um, the time where they would gather for the feasts. And so there were a couple different feasts that they would gather for. And, and these songs were corporate psalms, right, that they would sing together. Um, and sometimes I'm sure that they were in, they were really feeling those things. And sometimes they probably weren't feeling those things. And sometimes they were just singing out of obedience. And because really there was this culture that had been created, that they were going to sing them together no matter what. Whatever the circumstances were, they were going to sing them. And the beauty of it is that we've seen that they speak to a lot of different circumstances. Uh, these psalms, Psalms 120 through uh, 134, are psalms that speak sometimes of a longing for home. Um, sometimes on the road, so like when life is, is hard and, and kind of the, the navigation of life. Um, sometimes arriving at the presence of the Lord and, and the rejoicing of being in the presence of God or being with the people of God. And so all of these songs... Um, speak to different times and uh, kind of circumstances of life, and yet they all rest in the character of God and His goodness and His holiness and His justice as we, as we looked at last week. And then this week we're going to look at, at His mercy and His forgiveness of sin. Um, Psalm 130, maybe this is the first time that you've heard it or, or you haven't heard it in a while. I would just encourage you. Uh, it is, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel in the Old Testament. And so take it, memorize it, make it yours, um, and, then, and then sing it. Because there's going to be times where you, you need it. There's going to be times where you feel like your sin is overwhelming, where you feel like you can't do anything right. Um, and yet you have this hope of who God is and that He truly does redeem and restore and forgive and, bring and, and supply mercy more than we could ever ask or dream or imagine. So as we're getting into... Uh, this psalm this morning, I just wanted to, to, to encourage us in that. Hopefully, whet our appetites and be like, man, I, I can't wait to read this and, and dive into it a little more. But I do want to pray um, and, and just pray that God would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Charlie, I'm going to pray, okay? Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that um, we get to gather. We get to gather not because we really just want to gather with people, but we gather because we want to hear what you would have to say. Um, either we recognize your lordship or we're curious about it. And so we gather to hear what you would have to say. And we want uh, to know because we've, we've searched, a lot of us have searched inside of ourselves or in what culture or philosophy or the world would supply and we found it lacking and we found that you have no lack. God, you are good. And so we pray that this morning you would speak that goodness to our hearts. Lord, that we would hear both the bad news uh, uh, of the problem, of the sin, of the reality of it. But we would hear the good news that we have a God who, whose character is forgiveness, whose character is mercy. And Lord, that we would, we would believe that this morning. We pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would have belief this morning to trust that your word is true, that we would see the Son, God, and we would just rejoice in Him this morning. We thank you for all of these things. We thank you that we can pray with confidence, knowing that that's what you long for us, to be a people who know you. 
In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're in Psalm 130. We're going to break it up into just a couple chunks. And I realize that the, a lot of the kids are with us. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to try to keep it a little more condensed than usual. Um, but I do want to unpack the psalm because there's this beautiful uh, portrait, like I, like I talked about, of, of the gospel in the Old Testament. And so we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Three questions we're going to ask in these, in these verses are, are the who, the, the where, and the what. So the, the who, first off, it's a little different from the previous psalm. So if you look at it, he says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Now, we've talked about the past couple weeks how often they'll use I or me or my, and it's a corporate idea. Um, today, I think that it's, it really is an individual um, and remember last week when they, when they said, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth and then let Israel now say, so it was an immediate call for everybody to say it together. If you just look up at 129, there was this immediate call for everybody to, uh, to say this thing together. So it was a corporate Psalm. This one doesn't get corporate until the end where in verse seven, it says, Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. But initially it's the psalmist himself crying out in a place of understanding that his sin, he's in the depths of woe. He's in, he's in the depths and he's crying out because when you're in the depths, you're, it's like you're drowning. Often the depths is a reference to water in the Old Testament. And so this depths that he's in, he's drowning and he can't save himself. Um, and so he's looking to God. The only thing that he knows that's outside of himself to be able to save himself. And he cries out to God. So the who is the individual psalmist. Charlie, will you sit down, babe? Is the individual psalmist, right, crying out. But it's a shared condition, and we'll see that later. Like, his condition is shared. All of us are overwhelmed by our sin. Like, we can't do anything about our sin. And so whether we're in that place of... of recognition and acknowledgement of it, or we're just walking kind of in ignorance. We all share the same condition, but the psalmist is crying out in this moment for his individual sin. And, and so he, he knows and sees his sin. Job 10.14 says this, uh, and this is, this is Job, also someone who knew his sin. Uh, it, was, it was before him. He says, If I sin, you watch me, and do not acquit me of my iniquity. So, He's saying that God doesn't just part, God doesn't just gloss over sin. He sees the sin, he recognizes it, and so it's a reality for us. Psalm 143 verse 2 says this, it says, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. So all of this points to this reality. Um, and we see Paul really dive into it in the New Testament. He he. He points out the fact that all of us, by nature, are sinners. All of us, by nature, because of one man's sin, Adam's sin, right? We are fallen creatures. And so we're going to see kind of the scope of the gospel here um, and, and what that means for us. So the, the psalmist knows and sees his sin. So that's the who. It's the psalmist. He's got a right recognition of who he is before God. The where is he's in the depths. He's crying out in this place of despair, this place of, uh, it's, it's often in the depths where our cry is the most fervent and sincere, right? When, we're, when things are going well, we usually don't cry out. 
<laughs> but when things start to go badly, that's when, man, God, in, and that's grace. Can we see that? Like even in the midst of gathering via uh, Zoom, can we see that, that this broken world is, is fallen, right? There's stuff that we can't control. There's, there's the political climate. There, there's the, the questions of race and, and, and reconciliation and those types of things. And then there's COVID in the midst of like not even being able to gather for Thanksgiving. And then now we got Christmas coming up and everybody's trying to navigate all of these things. And so it's broken. But can we be, can we be thankful for that? That those, that those circumstances cause us to cry out to God, right? The, the brokenness that we're experiencing now and then that's kind of an outward thing, but the reality of this inward brokenness that we also have. That, Lord, I, I don't want to sin. I want to be changed. I want to be transformed. And yet I still wrestle with these things. And that keeps us at that place of dependence where we cry out to God and we say, Oh, Lord, hear my voice. Right? And so the what, the what of these first four verses is, is a need to be heard. The psalmist is crying out. And he, he's saying, he says, I cry to you, hear my voice, hear my plea, the voice of my pleas for mercy. Let your ears be attentive. So it's this very um, clear picture of someone crying out for someone to listen. And so that's where the psalmist is, and that's what he's doing. He's crying out, if the Lord will hear us, that's all we ask. The Lord in his wisdom will decide how to act. He will either bestow mercy or He will give us justice, all of it for His glory. So our only cry is, Lord, will you just hear us? And then I'm going to trust that whatever it is that you do is good. That whatever you do is out of your perfect wisdom. But Lord, will you hear me? Will you hear my plea? Will you hear my cry? And then in 3 and 4, it just continues to, to confirm this idea uh, of the sin that that we all struggle with. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? Right. If God were to 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 put all of, I've got a little whiteboard. I'm not even going to use it, Chris. But if God were to use this very small whiteboard to begin to put all of my sins on there, I would I would have nothing but to fall at my face and say, God, I can't I can't even stand before you because of all of the sin. Right? Even the good things that I do are often done out of selfish motive reasons because I want people to like me or I want them to see me uh, as the, the facade that I put up. But the reality is that God sees me without the facade. God sees me in the depth of my sin. He hears our cry. He hears our plea. And He acknowledges it. And we're going to see later that not only does He acknowledge it, but He moves and He acts. Um, so, you know, the, the cry, the plea for mercy that he has. We hope for mercy, but we trust in his righteousness to either deliver justice or mercy. So, so we have what we want. We lay it before God and we say, God, hear my cry. If you would have mercy, have mercy. But in the end, I trust you. And the cry is in verse four. This is where the hinge kind of takes place. So we've acknowledged kind of our, our situation, the problem, if you will. It's a big problem. It's a sin problem. It, it, it's, a, it's a problem that's deep, right? But verse 4, it begins to change. And it says, but with you, God, there is forgiveness. So the psalmist knows the character of God. He's, he's grown up in an environment where he, he's sung these songs before. 
right? He's probably traveled before, and he sings these songs knowing the character of God. They remember that it was God who called a people out of Egypt and established them as his chosen people, who gave them his law, his, his word. And so they know that the character of God is one that is relational, one that longs for his people to know him and to, to worship him and to trust him. And so the psalmist cries out in confidence, but with you there's forgiveness that you, that you may be feared. So he cries out for the character of God to be shown again. Spurgeon says this, he says, Free, full, sovereign pardon is in the hand of the great king, and it is his prerogative to forgive, and he delights to exercise it. Because his nature is mercy and because he has provided a sacrifice for sin, therefore forgiveness is with him for all that come to him confessing their sins. The power of pardon is permanently resident with God. He has forgiveness ready to his hand at this instant. That's good news for us. That's, that's exciting that God, his character is forgiveness. And all of it is for his glory. That's, that's the, it's not even really about us. It's to display that character that he has so that, if we look at the second part of verse 4, that you may be feared, that you may be honored, that you may be worshipped, that you may be glorified. The psalmist recognizes his place. This, this isn't, the circumstances are real, the sin is real, but ultimately this is about God and who he is. So as we move into verses 5 and 6, we kind of have that idea of, of where are we going um, and so now that we, we recognize who God is, what is our portion? What do we do with this? Right? Verses 5 and 6 say this, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in His word I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. We have some, some repetition there. Right? You have repetition of, of my soul waiting. And, and that soul waiting is, is this... I really struggle with that. Like, what does that mean? I don't even know what soul means, but I know that it means something that it's, it's kind of this completeness. It's kind of my whole being. It waits for you. My soul waits and longs for you. As I was in the depths, so the deepest part of me waits for the Lord, right? This idea of there's this deep part of me that needs God, that longs for God, that's going to wait for God. And it must be important because he repeats it several times for emphasis. So he's really driving this home. He's saying, my soul is going to wait for the Lord. And more than watchmen for the morning. And so uh, it's, it's good to see that there's some uh, fellow military folks on here because you know, maybe you have an idea of what it means to stand watch, right? And, and the best part of watch is when it's over. Um, you're longing for that time when, when you can relax, when you can stand down from standing guard. And so that's what he's hoping for. He's hoping because the watchmen stand watch at night, right? The watchmen have to be really attentive at night because it's hard to see when people are coming in. But when the sun comes up and exposes everything, they can relax and the watch can be relaxed. So that watchman is longing for the morning. They're longing for when God would, when God would come. And what do we do as we wait? Right? In this very small verse of verse 5, it says, My soul waits, and in His word I hope. Man, what a gift. 
We have this, this gift in front of us. And the psalmist has the same gift. He's been given the word of God, probably orally through tons of tradition, right? Being passed down from generation to generation. Some of it was written down. But mainly it was just like, hey, let me tell you again about who your God is. You're an Israelite. You're a Hebrew people. We're a special people, a chosen people. Not because of what we've done, but because our God has chosen us. Right? That's the same joy that we should have today. When we read God's word and when we hope in his word, we have the promises of God, the character of God displayed in his word. And so we hope, resting, waiting, hoping in his promises. But it's also an active hope. Right? How are we going to know God's word unless we're reading it, unless we're reciting it, unless we're listening and searching it? How are we going to know... How are we going to know the Word of God? And then there's, there's the piece of if, if God's Word is true and we're actually resting in it, it's going to transform us and change us. So there's, an, there's a passive waiting, but there's also an active waiting. There's an active pressing into God's Word. Lord, what, what does it mean to be your people? What should we look like? We should look like Jesus. We should, we should be reflections of the God that we say that we love and serve. Well, how are we going to know what that looks like unless we're reading it, diving into God's Word, and we've been given it? So hoping in His Word. And then there's that anticipation of the dawn of the day. Standing watch, longing for when, when the sun would rise and the morning brings the watch to an end. That's our hope. The hope... And, and the psalmist's hope is that God will move, that the, that the watch will come to an end, that the longing that he has will come to an end, that the waiting will come to an end. Hey, girls, please stop. Put, put everything down. And so we wait. And then finally, verse 7 and 8. What is our hope in? Oh, Israel. So again, all of this has been this this individual, and now he's saying, oh, Israel, everybody, because you all know what I'm talking about. We all understand the depth of our sin, but let us hope in the Lord who would do something about the sin. Let us hope in the Lord and and cling to him. For with the Lord, and again, the character of God just on display, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel, us, from all his iniquities. That's what the psalmist is saying. He, he, he's crying out, listen, we've, we've acknowledged that this is true. We have a sin issue, but we have a God whose character is steadfast love, who longs to redeem a people that were broken and make them whole, to reconcile himself, a holy God, to a, to a sinful people, that there would be, that we would be, uh, he would be our God and we would be his people. So this is all, all there. Our hope is in the Lord. It moves from individual to corporate. And then he, then he really presses in to the character of God. And we're going to look, because the psalmist is crying out for this future hope, right? For something to be done about the sin problem. But he knows that something's going to be done because he's seen God take care of all of these things for his people. He's been given this, this type, this image, right? of sacrifice. Every year they would go and they would make atonement for their sins. So they have this idea that God has forgiven sin, 
but they don't have the full picture of it. But we, the people of God now, we have the full picture of it. So I want to look at two, uh, two verses in the New Testament just pointing to what has been done. Um, also, we talked about forgiveness last week. And, and so I just want to pull, pull back into that. The idea that um, the longing in verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness. Forgiveness is not um, unconditional. It doesn't just gloss over the sin. Condition, or, um, forgiveness demands two things. It demands justice and it demands repentance. And so we have forgiveness because of uh, God has placed the justice that we deserve on Christ, on the cross. Christ has become the atonement. So it wasn't just an unconditional thing. There was a condition. Sin must be punished. The, the debt of sin, the wages of sin must be paid. And who has paid that? God himself has paid that in the person of Jesus Christ. He died a sinner's death. So it's not a simple, oh, we just need to, we need to gloss over it and, and, and it's okay. No, it's not okay. Sin required a payment. And the payment has been made by Christ on our behalf. And then that leads us to repentance. God, if that's, if that's true, I don't want to have anything to do with these old ways. I don't want to have anything to do with, with this old man that I was. I want to be tra- changed and transformed into the image of Christ. And so there's, there's justice and there's repentance. And, and you can't have all of the reconciliation. You can't have the redemption without that, that forgiveness that's been purchased for us by Christ. So Colossians 1, 13 and 14. If you've got a Bible and, and you can turn there real fast. But um, Colossians 1, 13 and 14. This is Paul writing to the church in Colossae. And he says this. Talking about Jesus, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the reality that we have. The psalmist longs for it. Like he's crying out from the depths, looking forward to that time. And yet, in, for me, I take it for granted. Daily, I'm just like, well, it, it's okay. I know that I, I, I was angry with my children and I I yelled at them, but it's okay. My sin is forgiven. Yes, my sin is forgiven, but that sin required a very serious payment on the cross. So I cannot gloss over that. I, that should lead me to joy. God, you are good. How could you do that? How could you forgive me and not just me, but us? How could you forgive us and make us into a people that are being restored, that are being redeemed? Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. Again, Paul writing, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. How are we doing that? Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The psalmist is longing for the coming of Jesus. He doesn't know that. He couldn't put that into words. But that's his, that's his longing. That's his heart. And we have Jesus. We have the promise of forgiveness. 
We've been shown the character of God, the full character of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we come and we say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you would purchase for me forgiveness, that you were just. Lord, I repent of the ways where I have not chased after you, where I've made, made light of very serious things, serious things that took Christ to the cross. And Lord, I thank you that you not only died, but you rose again, defeating the power of sin and death. So now I don't have to walk in those things anymore. I can walk in the righteousness of Christ. I can be the neighbor that I long to be. I can be the friend, the father, the son that that you long for me to be so that your glory may be displayed throughout all the world and so that I can point to people, point people to that same Christ and say, if, if my sin can be forgiven and atoned for. Your sin can be forgiven and atoned for. And so, in Christ, we have the fullness of God on display. When we read verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 130, it says, The steadfast love, the plentiful redemption, the Redeemer, all of those things we find in Jesus. And so today, we have that hope and we have a future hope at the same time. So we, we've been given the great hope that Jesus has come and the work is done. If there is any salvation for the people of God, it is done in the person of Jesus. But there's a future hope where Jesus will come again and He will restore all those broken things that we talked about earlier. He will make them right. We will truly love each other because we will truly love the Son. And we will rest in those things. And so that is our hope this morning. That's what we long for. I pray that that would be what stirs our hearts. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. We thank you for grace. We thank you for your character that's on display in the Psalms, Lord, that you are a God who forgives, that you are faithful, that you are steadfast in your love, that you are a God who is prone to mercy. Your disposition is mercy and justice. Lord, we thank you for grace this morning. We thank you for your son, Jesus, Lord, that that the problem was so big that it took you sending yourself to change everything. So, Lord, we rejoice in that today. We pray that it would change the way that we live. It would change the way that we sing. It would change the way that we worship. It would change the way that we treat each other. Lord, may that reality change everything for us. May we be the people of God. May we be like Israel, singing on the way to where we worship, and others would hear it. And they would be like, man, why are they singing? This world is a mess. Lord, and they would see that our hope is not in this world. Our hope is is in what you've done and what you will do. We thank you for these things. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.